this podcast is to inspire you to think critically about issues of life and seek God. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about this topic today. When we read the commandments of God, like Ten Commandments, there's this temptation to think very lightly of these divine declarations. We may sometimes wrongly disregard, I'm not saying always, but sometimes wrongly disregard the precious words of God himself by saying, these are just a bunch of rules that say don'ts only. There's nothing to it than that. And especially they're designed and crafted to limit man from reaching outside this religious system. They want to keep us dominated and keep us in the system so that we don't escape from the system so that we can have our upper hand. And there has been copious occurrences to prove this speculation right. But the biblical commands are divinely inspired and have immeasurable utility to man. You see, when we read these commands, these are not human fabricated. A man cannot fabricate these amazing commandments because these always point toward God, something greater than ourselves. The Ten Commandments were uttered by God himself. Now, before we talk about the commandments, I think it is necessary that we must establish a positive posture and gratitude towards the law of God. The first commandment says this, You must not have any other God but me. That is Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and that's NLT version. You see, we need to understand that the commandment of God do not provide a negative remark on our life. We think as though God is taking away our joy and is taking away the fun of life by giving these commands and we ought to follow them. And God knows what they are. You see, I want to change that perspective about commandments. I want us to learn what God actually is doing when he's giving these commandments. I want to read from a Scottish minister of 18th century called Alexander McLaren. And he helped me to gain a positive perspective on these commandments. And I was so amazed when I read this. Because every time I have read through the commandments of God, but I never thought about them. It never entered my mind to see it as though there's something more to it than that. I thought I was simply to obey the word. I was simply to trust them. Yes, that's true. But it also helps to understand why God is giving these commandments. And I think Alexander McLaren, he provides that perspective for us. Let me read from Alexander McLaren commentary. This is what it says. The prohibition has little force for us, but the positive command which underlined it is of eternal force. We should rather think of it as a revelation and an invitation than as a mere command. For what is it but the declaration that at the center of things is throned not a rabble of godlings, nor a stony impersonal somewhat, nor a hypothetical or noble entity, nor a shadowy abstraction, but a living person who can say me and whom we can call on as thou, and be sure that he hears, no accumulation of finite excellences, however fair, can satisfy the imagination which feels after one being, the personal ideal of all perfectness. You see, the first thing he says is the command of God are not mere constraints, but revelation of God himself. Now think about this. When God gave these 10 commandments to Israelite, what, what were the circumstances? Well, the Israelite were just rescued from the 
slavery and captivity of Egyptians. And now God is going to give this commandment, these 10 commandments to the whole nation of Israel. And when he gives, he says this, hey, this is who I am. Yes, you have been exposed to multiple gods, multiple pantheons of gods, but I want you to know that the God, the Yahweh, is not like that. So he is revealing himself to us. He's saying that I am Yahweh and you shall serve me differently than you have been seeing in your surroundings, in your circumstances. Okay, And God says, I'm revealing myself to you. I'm showing who I am. So these Ten Commandments are not constraints. He's not saying you shall not do this because I said so. But what he is doing, our God in heaven, is he's revealing himself so that we may know him, so that we may worship him in the right order. So second thing we need to understand is we ought to be joyful for God has come to us and he has revealed the heavenly order of worship and adoration. So when God gave these commands, God displayed the most terrific spectacles of his sovereignty. He made known to the most powerful nation on earth, the Egypt, that Jehovah, this Yahweh, is God. The unheard and unknown plagues were hurled at this nation that boasted to hold divine on the throne. God dethroned the arrogance of Pharaoh. He would also let know his people as well as Egypt that he is the new God. There is no Pharaoh. Even the Pharaoh said, I am God. I am a divine entity. God said, no, I am God. And God rightfully for Israel's benefit and for our benefit desired to let us all know that there is one true God. There is one true God. And God had to warn them of all other polytheistic worship. He had to let them know that you cannot do this because I have revealed myself to you so that you may know and properly worship me. This is what Cambry's commentary says. The first commandment against polytheism. The fundamental principle of Israel's faith presupposed throughout the Old Testament, but especially insisted on when there is any danger of other gods, especially Canaanite gods, being preferred to Jehovah or worshipped equally with him. The truth is that there is one true God and, and there are many pharaohs in the world. God had to establish his sovereignty and glory before his people. There is only one that deserves all the adoration and all insatiate prayer and worship. In the multitude pantheons of gods, there was this danger of speculating whether this God who says, I am who I am, is just like them, like Canaanite gods, or is it different? Israel had seen many gods, sacrifices and devotions throughout their life. God knew this very well and he wanted to establish and he wanted all of us and Israel exclusively to know that this God does not prefer to be one of many other gods. So he speaks to them. He says, I am the only God. You shall worship me and you shall have no other gods before me. He reveals that to us. So it is very important we change our perspective on the commandments. These commandments were not given to us simply to keep us constrained within the limitation. These commandments were given so that we would know him, so that we would know our heavenly father. In many parts of the world, like Nepal, there is still very analogous temptation that exists. There are millions of gods. I come from this country. And for non-Christians, for a person of other faith, it is hard to grasp the concept of one true God. They would rather commend if all the gods coexisted and we served all the gods. And But Bible is very clear that God does not share his glory. Why would he? 
Isn't he the one who created everything? Isn't he the one who made heavens and earth? Isn't he the one who sustains everything? Why should the enemy get any part of his glory? It is absurd. So Christians must resist any design that compels to worship any other gods. Okay? And I think it is easy to do. I don't think any Christians goes out there worshiping an, another god, at least another god like idol, another god like Baal. I don't think they worship anything. But I want to transition to make it more relevant to Christians. You see, we may not worship an actual idol. We may not worship gods. But we do have a lot of idols that are leading our lives, that are controlling our thoughts and our hearts, and they hide in the corner of our heart. I want to make us aware that there are other gods that we serve. And D. Young makes it clear. Let's read the commentary of D. Young. This is what he says. Dependence on something else than God, even though there is nothing of a religious form in the dependence, is a peril into which we are liable to come. It is hard to fight, harder than we can imagine, till we are fairly put to the struggle against the allurements of the seen and temporal. Even when we admit that there is an invisible God whose claims are supreme and whose gifts, present and future, are beyond anything that the seen in its pride and beauty can afford. Even then, we have the utmost difficulty in carrying our admission and practice. You see, this is D. Young who comments this. He says, there is this temptation we may find ourselves trapped in. The scene, the temporal, the attractiveness that we put our dependency on, that thing, like our money, our finance, our health, we put our dependency on that. So this is very enlightening. You see, God abhors all kinds of idols. He does not want us to worship any idols. Also, God abhors any adoration directed to the pursuit of fulfilling our own interest. That eventually diminishes God's position in our lives. So if you depend on anything else other than God, then that might be idolatry. That might be worshiping another God. Just like God rescued Israel from 430 years of slavery, God has also rescued Christians from this eternal sin, from this eternal slavery of sin, eternal damnation. So this is what I'm saying. No Christian should worship and desire anything other than God. Think about this. So no Christian should desire to worship anything or put anything before God himself. Benson comments this. The sin against this commandment which we are most in danger of is giving that glory to any creature which is due to God only. Pride makes a God of ourselves, covetousness makes a God of money, sensuality makes a God of the belly. Whatever is loved, feared, delighted in, or depended on more than God, that we make God of. So, what's your dependency? What is your security in this world? I want to invite you to really take inventory of your life and spend some time thinking about this. What are your delights and adoration? What do you fear most? What do you delight in most? What do you want more? Why and why do you think they are the security? Why do you think they are the most delightful? Are your relationships your idol? Is your relationship, your love affair, is that your idol? Is video game, movies, sports, anything that comes before God, is that your idol? Is money and self-indulgence and pleasure that you seek, like sexual immorality, pleasures in sport, pleasures in playing? Whatever you think and you put before God becomes your idol, becomes your God. Again, Alexander McLaren says this, 
The first commandment enjoins or rather blesses us by showing us that we may cherish supreme affection, worship, trust, self-surrender, aspiration toward one God. After all, our God is that we think most precious for which we are ready to make the greatest sacrifices, which draws our warmest love, which lost would leave us desolate, which possessed make us blessed. If we search our hearts with this candle of the Lord, we shall find many an idol set up in the dark corners and be startled to discover how much we need to bring ourselves to be judged and condemned by this commandment. It is the foundation of all human duty. Obedience to it is the condition of peace and blessedness, light and leading from mind, heart, will, affection, desires, hope, fears, and all the world within, that longs for one living person, even when it least knows the meaning of its longing and the reason of its unrest. My brothers and sisters, this is what I'm saying. What do you think is the most precious in your life? Again, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, You shall not have any other gods besides me. Do you have any other idols beside God? I want to plead to you. Make Christ your center and foundation. May God of heaven, may Yahweh occupy your heart. May you be satisfied in God alone. We all have idols in, our, in the corners of our hearts. I urge you to smash them into pieces. I urge you to seek God and remember this mandate that roars from heaven. Do not have other gods besides me. If anything draws the warmth in your heart and you would be crying out your eyes if you lose it or if you have it, you would be the most blessed one. You would think that, wow, my life is so better now. If that is not God, if your fellowship is not with God, then you might be in the peril of committing idolatry. So what is your God? This is what I want to say today as we wrap up today's podcast. God in the Ten Commandments reveals himself. This is one that you need to learn. God shows us who he is, and this is our privilege to know him. And when we read the Ten Commandments, when we read any commandments in the Bible, we should be really glad, delightful, and joyful that God of heaven has decided, and in his mercy, he has decided to save us sinners and to reveal himself to us. And this is our greatest delight. It should be our greatest satisfaction and joy. And number two is, we have other gods in this world. There are a lot of pharaohs in this world. And we need to be able to identify what is of God, what is for God, and what is not of God, and what is not from God. Third thing is, I want us to think that if God is not our joy and satisfaction, our pleasure, then what is it? Are we... Are we considering something else more precious than God himself? We are in the peril of destruction in that case. I want us to think about that. So again, remember, this is the command of heaven. This is God's divine declaration that you shall not have other gods besides me. That's what I want us to think about. What are the gods do we serve? What are the idols do we serve in our lives? We, this is the age and generation of phones, internet, a lot of video games, sports, crazy things, gambling maybe, going to parties, drinking. These things can become our idol. Anything that hinders worship to God is an idol. If you're not deeply in love with Christ, or if you're not walking in the presence of God, then you might be serving gods in your life. 
Thank you for listening today. I hope that you're blessed. I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you're challenged with this message today. Thank you. See you next time.